We're now going to come to God's Word and continue our series in Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, as we go through the Bible, as we read the Bible, we find there are huge chunks that are taken up talking about priests and worship, especially in the first five books of the Bible. And what is all this about? Why is there so much devoted to priests and the whole worship system? Well, sometimes things are so big or abstract that when we're teaching children, we use some sort of model to teach them. So, for example, we use a globe to teach children about the shape of the world and where the countries are. And that globe isn't the real thing, but it's a model that's very tangible that we can look at and we can understand reality, which we can't look at in the same way. Um, uh, similarly, the priests were just pictures of some greater reality. Uh, even the temple, we're told, was a replica of something or like some sort of image to help us understand something that's happening in the spiritual realm in glory. Uh, both of these help our finite minds to at least get some kind of a handle on what these things are that are too big or abstract for us to grasp them directly. And so, with that said, my goal this morning is to get a better grasp of what Jesus does for us from the picture of Old Testament priests. Uh, I don't know if you're one of those people that believe that the internet exists for cat pictures, but... Um, we here's one. We once had a cat that had kittens, and it was an amazing experience to see how the mother cat cared for the kittens and looked after them. And I wonder if you can think what the different ways are a mother cat cares for this tiny, helpless bundle of fur. Well, obviously, they provide food for them, um, warmth. The, the The kitten would soon die if it was just left in the cold. Um, mother cats are meticulous about cleaning the kittens. They provide a safe place for them to live. They can pick them up gently by the back of their necks and move them around. And we would see that just the cat caring so meticulously for the kittens. Uh, protection, if some enemy would come, uh, uh, fiercely defend the kittens. And actually, later on, there's education that happens if it's in the wild and the mother will teach the kittens how to hunt. So the, 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 this mother cat provides everything that this, this kitten needs. And what I want to suggest to you today that Jesus is like this in his provision. But first of all, I'm going to uh, go and uh, we're going to look at some, uh, some, uh, uh verses from Leviticus, which we're going to base our passage on. Well, we're going to base our passage actually on Hebrews, but this is what is reflected from uh, the reading in Hebrews. Uh, this is Leviticus 16 and verses 2 to 6 and then 13 through 16. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, that he must not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil canopy, 
in front of the mercy seat, that is on the ark, so that he may not die, for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. In this way Aaron is to enter into the sanctuary with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on a holy linen tunic, linen leggings are to cover his body, and he's to wrap himself with a linen sash and wrap his head with a linen turban. They are holy garments, so he must bathe his body in water and put them on. He must also take two male goats from the congregation of the Israelites for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron is to present the sin offering bull, which is for himself, and is to make atonement on behalf of himself and his household. He must then put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the cloud of incense will cover the mercy seat, which is above the ark of the testimony, so that he will not die. Then he is to take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the eastern face of the mercy seat, and in front of the mercy seat he is to sprinkle some of the blood seven times with his finger, He must then slaughter the sin offering goat, which is for the people. He is to bring its blood inside the veil canopy and he is to do with its blood just as he did to the blood of the bull. He is to sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. So he is to make atonement for the holy place from the impurities of the Israelites and from their transgressions with regard to all their sins. And thus he is to do for the meeting tent which resides with them in the midst of their impurities. So this description here is the Day of Atonement, which happened once a year. And as you can see, there's all kind of complicated things he has to get just right. And um, it's the Atonement, the Day of Atonement. Atonement means to cover guilt, to be a covering to take away the guilt. And if he didn't get everything just right, then it's like being in a, in a high voltage place where there's dangerous electricity around and you've got to walk exactly the right place or you get zapped. And um, this is a, um, a very difficult task that he had to do. But even this didn't actually cleanse them. It was just a picture. Um, if they did it faithfully, then God honored that and counted it as as uh, atonement, forgiveness, through the blood of Jesus. But in fact, it didn't actually achieve anything more than being a picture. Let's have a look then at the main passage I want to look at, which is explaining this, which is in Hebrews. For the law possessed a shadow of the good things to come, but not the reality itself and is therefore completely unable by the same sacrifices offered continually year after year to perfect those who come to worship. For otherwise they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers would have been purified once for all and so have no further consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sin year after year For the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. Very clear that this is talking about a a picture, not the reality, a shadow, 
as the word says. So one of the roles of the priest was to take away the sins of the people, at least to make an offering that would take away, would cleanse the sins of the people. Um, But there was another role the priests had. And the other role, as well as animal sacrifices, was to bring incense. And we saw that in the second part of our reading in Leviticus. The incense was like a symbol of prayer uh, brought to God. And uh, I'll just jump ahead. When we think of Jesus being a priest for us, we usually think of his great work on the cross being a sacrifice. But today we're actually going to talk about the second part, praying. And we're going to talk about his work now, that he actually provides for all of our needs. And that illustration I gave at the beginning about the mother cat Jesus is like that in the way that he intimately cares and and addresses every single need that we have. And we're going to carry on reading in Hebrews and Hebrews chapter 4, where it describes this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And here's the the most important verse for this morning. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. So note that phrase, let us confidently approach the throne of grace. Um, what, what, what does it mean to approach God's, approach the throne of grace? Like, if it was a physical throne, you could approach it. What does it mean? Well, I think we probably all understand is actually talking about prayer here. And the issue it's dealing with is, lack of confidence in approaching the throne of grace. So I want us to address this because this is of key importance this morning. When we lack confidence approaching the throne of this terrifying God. So why we might not we why might we not be confident? I've got some suggested reasons. If you were a live audience right now, I would be asking people to give suggestions of what it might mean, what reasons there might be for us to lack confidence. So maybe you can just think now, what could keep me from being confident? Well, probably the main thing that we would have is our sin and failure. We'd have that shame that covers us from, oh no, I've messed up again. Oh, I've done this. I oh, know I just haven't have done that. Uh, another one is this God we're coming to. Does he really care about us? And feeling, well, is he, ha- what's his sense of, of us as we come to him? Does he really care? Um, maybe we feel he's angry and that could keep us from being confident. Another one is you think, well, I don't know how to pray. I can't put clever words together. I can just sort of say foolish words. How can I really address God? And one other thing is that I just feel silly asking God about that. You know, 
I need somewhere, I need something to, to eat today. I'm not sure what I should eat. Should I pray to God to help me make a choice? Like, that's silly, that's foolish. And we can think things are, are just too small for God. And so today I'd like to address, address three issues that come out of these verses. The first is the problem of sin and failure and how Jesus addresses those. The second is how he helps us pray. So if you remember, those are the two things that the priest did. He, he dealt with the sin and he brought prayers, which were the incense. And then the third thing, his sympathy with our struggles. So, um, what about sin and failure? The problem of sin and failure. We sin again and we think, oh no, what am I going to do? What's, is, this is the, this is the, the hundredth time I've sinned this particular sin. Um, what am I going to do? It's, this is a hundred times I've asked for forgiveness and I just feel guilty to come and ask God again for this. We just feel too guilty. And how does this teaching help us? Um, well, going back to my, my cat story, um, we, we don't, uh, our cat has gone to cat heaven now, but we, we don't have a cat anymore. But we had one called Timothy who let his long head and he left a lot of hair around. And I remember once being at a restaurant and he, um, I was wearing a black shirt and I was to lunch with some friends and suddenly a friend pointed out to me that I got Timothy had decided to give me a cuddle before I went out and I got this, all this cat fur down my front on my black shirt. I just felt so embarrassed about it. But a much worse occasion was um, I was at a business lunch. I was working in IT doing, um, and I was meeting with a potential client. And so it wasn't a lunch, it was a business meeting. And I got my laptop out and uh, we were making a discussion. My, and he said, do you have a dog? And I said, no, I have a cat, actually. Oh, I said, how do you know? And he said, well, your laptop bag. And Timothy used to like to sleep on my laptop bag and it was black and it was just covered in cat fur. And I just felt so, oh, no, Timmy, that doesn't look very professional at all. So, you know, we can have shame when we've got something that should be clean and isn't clean. And I want to just imagine that... um I'd got, uh, I'd got an, an oil stain on this, um, my, my shirt here. And, um, it was, it, it needed cleaning. And Anne said, um, uh, well, and it's okay. I'm going to the dry cleaners. I'll take it with me. And I said, but won't you be ashamed to show the dry cleaners this shirt with the oil stain on? Well, wouldn't that be a stupid thing to say? Because she was, well, of course not. That's what dry cleaners are for. Uh, that's where you take dirty things. And I really want you to get this point, because this is like one of my main points this morning, that when you actually take the dirty thing to the place that deals with it, that's when you don't have any shame. If I've got a dirty shirt, I'm at, at lunch and with some special people, then I might have shame. But taking it to the place where it's supposed to be cleaned, that's not a place that I would have shame. So I really want you to get this point because um, this is 
this is key to understanding what it means to come to Jesus. Um, that is actually where you take your sin. Just going back to Leviticus and chapter 5. When an individual becomes guilty with regard to one of these things, they must confess how they've sinned. They must. This is the dry cleaner equivalent. They must bring their penalty for guilt to the Lord from the sin they've committed, from the flock, a sheep or a goat, for a sin offering, so the priest will make atonement on their behalf for their sin. Then he must sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the wall of the altar, and the remainder of the blood will be squeezed out at the base of the altar. It's a sin offering. So I want you to imagine this scene. Here's the priest standing by the altar, dressed in white. There's a lineup of people there, all with their sheep and goats. And why are they there? They're there because they've sinned, and this is exactly the place to come. There's one qualification for being in this lineup, and that's that you've sinned. Um, so they're not coming there um, embarrassed because they, they've sinned. That's exactly where they should be. People have to go there regularly. And so why, when we sin, where is the one place we need to go to where we shouldn't be fearful? It's this place here. It's, it's, uh, this is the place where Jesus is waiting for us. Now, I'm not saying that sin is good. We shouldn't be happy about sinning, but it should never keep us from coming to God because that's the very place that we go where Jesus is saying, yes, please come here. This is the right place. I'm here to deal with your sin. So I, I really hope that this image can land with you because it's, like the silliness of being embarrassed to going to a dry cleaner when you've got dirty clothes. It's the same kind of thing as being embarrassed to go to Jesus. Now, of course, we shouldn't want to sin, but he is the place to go. And if we don't go to him, that's when he would say, like, Andrew, what are you doing? This is where you need to go. But if we go to him, we're in the right place. So, so I really want to you to get this image here, get this idea here, because it's so crucial to having confidence in coming in prayer, as those words said to us earlier. Another verse in 1 John chapter 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So, never let your sin keep you from coming to God in prayer, because that's the very place that you should go. Um, so, what does the word advocate mean? Um, we use this in law courts as somebody who speaks on someone's behalf, but actually it's anybody who speaks on another person's behalf. Uh, many years ago, I had a situation where there was a, a misunderstanding between myself and someone else, and we kind of, it would not got to a good place. And somebody who knew us both said to me, don't, don't worry, Andrew, I'll explain it to him and sort it out. And he did, and everything was fine. He was my advocate. And for an advocate, someone who speaks on your behalf, what better advocate could we have than Jesus to advocate for us? Isn't that amazing? So, you know, going back to the image of the of the mother cat looking after every need of the kitten. 
That's what Jesus is doing for us. He's providing for all of these needs that we have, and he knows that we have them. And um, so an advocate is someone who speaks on our behalf. And that is also to do with praying. And so uh, let's just look at this, how Jesus helps us to pray. Who is the one who will condemn? Christ is the one who died. And more than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God and who is interceding for us. So it's the same word, interceding. It's the same kind of thing. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? Who can separate us from that love? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, he goes on to say. But I just want to jump back to verse 26, where it talks about the Spirit as well as Jesus helping us. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how we should pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with inexpressible groanings. So, what does intercede mean? It means the same as advocate. It's it's somebody who speaks on our behalf and uh, puts our case before them. So, I want to say to you that Jesus is praying for you right now. He never stops. So, even at this moment, this very moment, Jesus is looking after you and he's praying to the Father for you, even at this very second. Um, Here's an example of Jesus speaking of this in Luke 22. He's praised for Peter. Simon, Simon, pay attention. Satan has demanded to have you all, to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. When you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. And Jesus is praying for us right now. So we can sum that up. Uh, The problem of sin and failure is one that Jesus deals with. And then he helps us to pray by praying with us in this. Um, While we're talking about just coming to God and bringing our prayers to him, um, I remember once somebody saying to me, you know, you can only ask God a, a certain number of times to forgive you for one sin. You know, then you've you've done your lot. You can't be forgiven anymore. And I said, well, what, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, he said, you've got a limited number and then you're done. Well, let me let me ask you a question. When the disciples said to Jesus, how many times should we forgive our brethren? Seven times? And Jesus said, 70 times seven. In other words, no limit. Just keep on forgiving. So I want to ask you, if Jesus is telling the disciples to forgive any number of times, to keep on forgiving, how many times is he going to forgive us? Is he going to follow the same advice for us and forgive us like he forgave them? Of course he is. And so we don't have to come saying, you know, I'm just too much of a failure, God, you're going to give up on me. Now, I want to say, if we're deliberately choosing to go against him and thinking, ha, you know, he's going to forgive me anyway, so I might as well do it again, you know, I can just keep on doing this. That's not the same kind of thing. I'm talking about 
about not not about I'm talking about falling into sin. I'm not talking about making a deliberate choice to follow a sinful pattern in our life because we think it's going to be okay. God's going to forgive us. I may as well get the benefit of both sides. That's not what he's talking about. So my third point here is his sympathy with our struggles. So sympathy, what's that? Well, I don't know if any of you suffer from ingrown toenails, but if you do, I can sympathize with you. <laughs> so sympathy is something where you, you've got some, you, you've experienced it yourself and you can actually know what that's like because you've experienced it like with the other person. Um, and so it's really important then that we get this, that Jesus isn't somebody that we just bring our request to, but he actually gets what it's like to be where we are and to have the struggles that we have. Um, when you pray to God, how do you visualize him? You know, um, when we when we speak to somebody on the phone, say, we have some sort of imaginary uh, visualization of of who they are. Maybe not like we don't have a picture, but we like we know who they are. We've got a sense of who we're speaking to. When I'm calling Anne, now I've got a sense of who Anne is, who I'm speaking to. What what do, what about when we're speaking to God? Well, some people put a, like a picture of Jesus up, and that's something we're told not to have representations of Jesus, either a picture or a statue. And uh, uh, I don't think that's what we should be doing. Um, but we're already given a picture of Jesus in the Gospels, in, in the Bible. And so what we're supposed to do when we praying to God is to use the pictures that we have of him in the stories that we have and so let's let's look at some of those um when he spoke to the woman at the well and he was so gentle with that woman when he had compassion on the hungry crowds when he wept over jerusalem because they rejected him when he stopped for blind beggars that everybody else was telling to keep back when he wept a Lazarus death when he saw people's grief. Um, and uh, other times, now, of course, he was angry with hypocrites because uh, they thought they didn't need him. They they were proud and, and conceited and thought they were perfect. But he, the, so that's that, there is that side of him, but he was tempted like we are. Well, how was he tempted? Well, it says in every way. So he was single. He must have had times when he was lonely. He had extreme pain, physical pain. Um, he suffered emotional pain by being rejected, by being attacked. And uh, every kind of stress that we have, he had. And so um, you can remember the, the kind of the, the gentleness he had with people. Even the woman who was taken in adultery, who was probably terrified that she was going to be killed, he came so gently to her. That's he, who he is. That's the picture that we have of Jesus, that we're given this portrait we're painted of him in the Gospels. This is why it's so important that you read 
the Gospels again and again to keep this portrait fresh. And Jesus is not just one side of God, you know, the gentle, sweet and gentle side of God. No, Jesus is the complete revelation of God. And of course, Jesus was concerned about justice and concerned about about um, uh, honesty and, and that kind of thing. But Jesus' gentleness with those who were weak, those who'd failed, is something that we need to keep ahead of our eyes as we're praying. It's like Peter, when Peter fell so badly and Jesus was so gentle with him. Um, the, the verse that we had earlier, I want to look at again. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. So this is, this really sums up what I'm trying to say today. And my, my last slide, I'm going to show you now, I'm trying to put this together. He provides a place to go when we sin, a place of forgiveness. That is where we should be when we sin. Not afraid of going there because of the stains where we have, but we should be going there because he's provided that place for us. He's the priest standing there with the altar saying, just come and I'm here to cleanse you. He makes our prayers perfect and prays them on our behalf. We just have to, you know, even if we just groan, that's all we need to do to say, oh, please help me. Sometimes that's all we can say. He perfects our prayers and is praying all the time on our behalf. And I really want us to understand this word that we ended with, sympathy. He's the most sympathetic person that you can ever know. I don't know if there are people that you know who um, you just, you know, you know you can pour your heart out to them because they're that kind of person. They'll be sympathetic. They're not going to judge you. They're going to, they're going to listen to you and they're going to be there with you. He's that kind of person. You can pour your heart out to him. It's amazing. You know, just reviewing this material, reviewing these verses and going through today, preparing this. I've just been so blessed in myself. And this has really encouraged me in my own walk with Jesus and really enriched me. And I've actually had some really special times of prayer as I've been preparing this and I've been thinking about these verses because it's reminded me of these things that should be again and again in my thoughts about the the, the sweet, gentle love of Jesus and his his non-judgmental sympathy of us when we come to him for forgiveness. And so um, I'm going to pray now, and I particularly want to pray for those who are feeling shame right now because of their own weakness, their own um, sin and messing things up, and just pray that they can feel the importance of this message. So let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that though you are the Lord of the universe and though you are terrifying in your brilliant brightness, yet 
we can come right to you, right to your very throne, because Jesus, your son, is welcoming us and has cleansed us of everything we've done wrong. And every time we fall into sin again, he just takes us and cleanses us. Thank you, God. Thank you that our prayers to you right now, my prayer to you right now is being perfected by Jesus and offered to you. Thank you. And thank you for this sympathy that we can have. Someone who doesn't just speak to us from a distance, but knows us perfectly and loves us perfectly. Oh, we thank you. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts for this glorious provision, this amazing Jesus who you've given to us. Thank you. Help us as we pray, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to... Oh, I've got one more note on here. Let's come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need.